Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello, TSF family. For our season finale, episode 21 of season five, we are going to be interviewing the incomparable Matt Kahn. Enjoy. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Matt Kahn is an incomparable spiritual teacher, highly attuned empathic healer, powerful speaker, and captivating author. He enriches people's lives by providing heart-centered solutions that ignite, delight, and unite. Matt wrote the highly acclaimed book, Whatever Arises, Love That. Everything is here to help you, and the universe always has a plan, which has been translated into more than a dozen languages. His second book, Everything is Here to Help You, was featured in the Be Kind box by Ellen DeGeneres. His newest book, All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space, is receiving accolades in his topping bestsellers lists. Among his honors, Matt was named one of the top 100 most spiritually influential living people by Watkins Magazine, alongside the Dalai Lama and Eckhart Tolle. Hello, Anna. Hello, Christina. And hello to our special guest today, Matt Kahn. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Oh, <laughs> I'm thanks so, for having me. <laughs> I'm so thrilled you're here. Oh, so, it's, it's an honor. Thank you. We so, have been um, talking about your stuff for years, honestly, <laughs> hasn't it? Right, Anna? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. So um, we both met at a Vipassana meditation course, one of those 10 day intense things. And that was like one of the most life changing experiences we've had. However, I would say finding your material was like the second most important because that Vipassana is so rigid and masculine yeah. and your work is so feminine and so love-centered that right. it was exactly what I needed to stop. I think you use the analogy that oftentimes modern spirituality is like building a car. I think you use like an, in a garage, but never yeah. getting out and driving it. If, That's right. And I feel like your work is like driving it. Like even if, even if my brakes go out, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, so you just, you just really have been really special to me. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you. It's, it's an honor to be here. And I, and I love, I'm touched to know how deeply I've touched your journeys. You know, I, I think, you know, when you talk about the car analogy, I, you know, I once said, I think this was the one 
where I said a lot of spiritual or self-help or personal development is like working on a classic car in a garage and you fix this, you level this out and you say, as soon as I'm you know, done and it's all complete, I'm going to take it out for a test drive. And we never really do. We're just kind of working on something. And I, I think, in, as you so eloquently said, in the modern day journey, we are taking the car out for a drive. And especially with that metaphor, just really kind of leading with our experiential awareness and seeing what's true for us personally and not trying to fit us into categories and really just seeing what's true for us. And, and you know, and hopefully the car has brakes. I just want to say that. I hope. Yeah, no, I, I was kidding. <laughs> but I think I was waiting for it yeah. to be perfect oh, to drive yes. it. And and then I'm like, it's perfect as it is. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we egg each other on with not having the brakes, but that can also be its own very interesting <laughs> evolutionary experience. <laughs> yes. Well, it's 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 an incredible thing where, I mean, everything in the journey has such a purpose and it's so wonderful and it's so beautiful. And I think really it comes down to just how we use it, what our intention is. Are we using things against ourselves? And when I first came into you know my teachings and started teaching from a very heart-centered place. It was only because of how I was guided and instructed. And I came into this field and realized, you know, a lot of the purpose was to reach an end point of love, but some of the paths weren't guiding or didn't seem people were taking the path in the most loving way. And it just kind of struck me as if love is where we're headed, then we, every step towards love should be the most loving towards ourselves and others. That's always really stuck with me. And I think it's because of when I've been working with my guidance, it's not just what they say to me, it's how they treat me. And the most important thing they've ever said to me is, you know, not just what we say, but how we present ourselves, how we speak to you. And for me, that's always been the most important thing in my life, whether I was a child or now an adult, the thing I'm always thinking about is politeness, is conduct, as a service to every person I'm around, as a gift I'm giving, as a a blessing or a prayer I'm sending to someone who's secretly suffering. And I think it's it's a really incredible time on this planet where mindfulness, heart-centeredness can really take center stage as being the real focal point of what it means to heal in a modern-day spiritual journey. Well, yeah, so. I love that. Because I think it, like a lot of us and a lot yeah. of people listening, we take a type A approach to a B path. <laughs> I like that. And I think you help remind me, like, it's, it's a, it's a B path. So like be loving on this yeah. path. Be myself. loving on the B path. Exactly. Yeah, be loving on the B path to myself. Cause I, cause I was, I was, I mean, as you pointed out and, and well, we'll talk about it more as we go, yeah. what course it was, it was, I think, but it was like, it was so clear that I was being dogmatic and rigid and horrible to myself while, while following the Buddhist precepts, which is like, so ironic and and fitting, I guess. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, like the Buddha, right? The Buddha is silently facing everything, not secretly ghosting everything. And I think that it's just it, it, it's an it's an interesting thing when when we get into the depths of any kind of aspiration on the spiritual journey, right? The aspiration to awaken, the aspiration to heal, whether it's the aspiration to manifest or whatever the aspiration is. For me, they're all equally valid. But whatever the aspiration is, it seems to be that when the aspiration 
gets a grip on someone to the degree, or when you're gripped by something to the degree that you believe that this is the thing that once this happens or this thing stops happening, only then will whatever miracle occur, right? And and then when we have that locked into place, the way we tend to approach a goal or interact with ourselves tends to be harsh, rigid, and really a perpetuation of the unconscious masculine energy that the returning divine feminine is balancing out. And so it, it's a wonderful thing when we all realize, and we all see this in different ways, that not only is my healing journey an opportunity for me to move from one level of reality to another, but the way in which I approach my journey can simultaneously expand energy and balance out unconscious masculine energy and amplify feminine energy for all beings. And so it's it's a wonderful awareness where the way in which we can take a heart-centered path equally expands experiences for others simultaneously. And I just think it's it's a really exciting time to really bring people into that direct experience. Yes. We we call that we call that parallel play. It's like toddlers sitting next to each other doing a similar thing and recognizing yeah. that they're actually in communion this whole time. Yeah. I love that. Really, yeah. I love yeah. that. Well, our first question for you is in one of your many YouTube lectures, and we will link it in the show notes. <laughs> you, you um, it was the lecture called what it means to be conscious. That was actually yes. the first lecture we saw of yours that someone mm. forwarded us. It was awesome. And you talk a lot in that lecture about the manifestation culture of people trying to manifest out of their hole with an H, right? Yes. And then that instead we could move into a place of just trusting and that's with our whole with a W, right? Mm. And could you talk a little bit more about that difference of this manifestation culture and how it's a reflection of the whole with the H? <laughs> so a great thing. It's funny because when, when you say that, I remember the teaching, but I've done so many teachings. I've, you know, YouTube videos and I remember nothing. And so when you say that, I'm sitting here going, oh, that's really good. Yeah, you were great. <laughs> that was amazing. I think I was great that day. It's incredible. But I remember that teaching when you say that. And I think that when we talk about manifest manifestation with an H-O-L-E, like whole, really, it, it helps us to see or, or inquire, because this is how I discovered it. I inquired. And I was just inquiring into the nature of desire, because when I'm not on stage, my exploration, my desire is to always push the envelope of what is possible. And I'm constantly inquiring. I'm constantly exploring because it's it's my joy. And I love this. What I found in the exploration, what I thought of manifestation is, would someone want exactly what they desire if they already felt W-H-O-L-E within themselves? Meaning sometimes we can visualize and depict scenarios that we think are going to bring us to a state of joy and elation. And it's literally just a symbol of the emotions that we don't experience most often, or we don't think exist in our reality based on past experiences we're still processing. And so I kind of started wondering, you know, and I started thinking of my own life, just thinking back to when I was really kind of hot and heavy on the manifestation and manifest your reality. And I went to a movie theater, someone told me a secret and, you know, 
I just, you know, it opens up a lot of things and it's amazing, but I think it's really about having a grounded perspective. And I thought to myself, huh, would I want the same things if I felt, if at that time I had felt totally connected and whole within myself? Or when I feel totally whole within myself, what is my relationship with the things I want and don't have? And so I think what's really interesting is a lot of times we put a lot of intensity on, I need something I don't have because I think that's going to free me from the feelings I do have based on the experiences I've survived. And I think that when we find wholeness on an emotional level first, not that we shouldn't go after, you know, pursue our desires, not that we shouldn't have desires, we should have the right to desire anything we want. And it's my joy to help people manifest what they desire, you know, and as a funny aside from the universe, the universe most likely helps to give us everything we want just to show us that it's not the thing that truly brings us wholeness. I, I once said on stage, I don't know if I said it in that video or not, but I once said, if your life had happened any other way than how it did happen, you'd actually feel exactly the same within yourself as you do right now. And I said it at a retreat and everyone groaned, which was a sign of deep medicine being administered. And the truth is, is that when we manifest, we start to see that the things we are desiring are symbols and they're symbols of how I believe I'm going to feel when I have this thing. And as we start to wake up out of needing objects to symbolize emotional patterning, and instead we start to just really dive into the necessity of connecting with ourselves on a heart-centered level, we can have those things. They can come to us. They can come rather miraculously, but our relationship with it remains one of detachment instead of necessity. And so that's when we go from being a you know, from feeling whole, like an H-O-L-E to W-H-O-L-E, which is I'm whole within myself. My connection with my heart to the universe is my nourishment and my sustenance. My relationship with my breath is reflective of how I engage with the world and perceive each moment. I have a right to want anything I want. I can call it in. It will happen whenever it does. And when it comes and goes, it's going to be what it needs to be without me making it into a fantasy that it doesn't need to be. And I think it's just a way of kind of deepening the conversation about manifestation, because I think every step forward we take on the spiritual journey has to be one towards maturity, embodiment, and integration. I think sometimes when we talk about co-creation, we kind of, it's easy to kind of go off the rails a little bit. Interestingly, what would you say for people who kind of take the opposite approach, which is what I did, which was for a very long time, which was relinquishing all desire yeah. in favor of the universe and I what would say, its plan yeah. was? <laughs> I would say that that's wonderful, um, but I would say that that can be a trap. That's what I would say, because yeah. to relinquish your desires is just to have made something else into a desire. So it's kind of like just the same energy in a different direction. Yeah. And, and what I would say is that 
the universe already does have a plan. I mean, I heard someone wrote a book about that. I don't know. You know, someone wrote a book about yeah. that. I don't know. I heard it was terrible. I heard it was awful. That Matt Con guy. I don't know who he is, by the way, but ugh, that guy. But the universe does have a plan. It's both one with our desires, and yet the universal plan will happen in spite of our desires. And I think that our role of having desires is actually a very pivotal one, but not for the reason people think. So I think when we say I'm going to relinquish desires, I think sometimes for me, it feels energetically, and I just go by energy. To me, I'm not saying across the board, but it can energetically feel like when I was a kid and I was playing tag and I couldn't run fast enough to, to, to touch someone else because I was it, I got frustrated and said, screw it. I'm not playing this game. I'm not having any fun. So I think a lot of times when we surrender our desires, it can be because, oh, this might be a shortcut to a better experience. This isn't working for me. I'm not having fun anymore. Screw this game. And I think really the most holistic path has to include the personal self, even as you're awakening out of the identification of the personal self. You know, that's a journey I've had my entire life of waking out of Matt Conness, you know, awakening out of Matt Conosity. And yet I've then integrated that personal self back into my being. And the transition for me or the transformation has been I used to live a life believing I was this character and committing to it with attachment and grip and rigidity. Now I express this character as a manifestation of its source. And I live as the guide, the nurturer, and the parent of this Matt Khan that I am. And so the beautiful integration is that even when the personal self disappears through various stages of awakening, these are things that you're going to integrate that are going to always come back because the masculine energy is blast this crap out and get it out of here. And the feminine is always about the return. And so anything that we transcend is always going to return for a return visit as we integrate it. And so even if we push away desires, you know, that's, that's a one-way flight to a different place, but there's always a return trip. Beautiful. That's, does that make sense? It does make sense. It does make sense. And what does it feel like when I say that? I think what what strikes me when you say that is that I feel you're right in the sense of like, you know, for so long I I would do divination. I, I couldn't even make the decision, right? right? Because it felt like, and then I started to recognize more and more that that was the avoidance of pain, thinking that there was one right path. And if I had right. that one right path, yeah, then I could, I could, you know, um, navigate the razor's edge and avoid as much pain as possible. Yeah. And so when you say that, I definitely reflect on, on that experience in my own life of, of, again, like, it's like you push away. It's like, I'm just going to push away as right. many triggers, as many other things as possible. But then, yes, it always does come back, but uh, come back in like a free energy form, right? Come of back course. in a book and in which the wisdom is separate from the energy and you're like, now it's like freely available, but that wisdom is still there. 
right? Absolutely. I, I would even say, journey. I would even say like, you know, we wake up out of ego and I've had experiences of ego shooting out of my ears and like this warm lava energy, like nectar, as they call it, just literally shooting out of my ears on, on many occasions. But the ego actually comes back because the ego leaves, goes through its journey of awakening and then integrates back and integrates back as the soul, but the soul includes the personal self. And so what I have found, you know, when I've traveled the country and there are certain places in the country that are more lodged in this non-dualistic type, you know, non-self approach. And, and the, these are very important stages to understand when you're undergoing Kundalini awakening, when you're going through the stages of waking up. Very pivotal, but I find people get very attached to these levels that are just milestones, you know, and there's nothing more surreal than a no self self, right? A self that is still there saying there's no self, which is very interesting. And then when it's the, when it's God underneath it all, it's God wearing a mask of a little self saying there's no little self, which if it strikes you in the right way, it's surreal and kind of funny. But the truth is, is that people are going through so much pain and it's easy to surrender and renounce your personal self when it's not the version you want to be. And I find that the, the, for me, the more juicy journey and the less of it feeling like a desolate spiritual graveyard is the one where we say, okay, if the universe is all loving and all knowing, and I love myself and love the parts that have never been loved by other people, then I am on the same side of treating myself the way the universe treats me. And that's really how I look at oneness versus separation. Separation is I'm treating myself in a way that is separate from how the universe treats me. And oneness is I treat myself in the way that is a reflection of how the divine has always treated me. And I think sometimes that, you know, again, wisdom is incredible. Wisdom flows to me every day, but I think sometimes we put so much energy on the wisdom and the point and the meaning, and we overlook the fragrance and the fertility of wisdom, which is how is this insight inspiring you to treat yourself? As I talked about in my first book, if it's not how you would treat a child in pain, it shouldn't be how you treat yourself. So even if we talk about these big insights about no self and oneness, how is that insight leading you to treat yourself? Is it causing you to give yourself more meaningful attention? Is it giving you a right to justify ignoring yourself? Now you're an illusion. Now you're something to turn away from. And so I think that's the interesting point for me, no matter what path I look at. I look at any path and I ask myself the same question. What conduct will this inspire people to lean into more? And is that what's really helpful right now? And that's the conversation I like to really explore. So well said. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. The not self self. I what the image I got when you said that, like the not self was like the watch. It's <laughs> like, it's, you know, it's like, you're trying to perceive time using this thing. That's just, what is that? Like, right. But it's still like right. this trying to, 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 to go with these higher dimensional selves. And totally. that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So the question that I have is, in terms of your guides and kind of the relationship that you have with your guides and your download and your channel, like, you know, do you, 
how do you characterize who it is that you're talking to and kind of like how your channel works in particular? Well, when I started, I had one guy in particular come to me named Melchizedek, who looks like Gandalf the wizard and sounds like, you know, he's from biblical times. And he would say, my son. And he would say all these words like, you know, by tomorrow's time. And I'm like, by tomorrow's time, that's pretty old school to say. That's cool. And he would, it's funny because when you channel and, and they say words you would never use, you haven't even heard of, like there's words that he said to me that I've looked up on Google and I'm like, that's accurate. Like my son, that is superlative. And I'm like, okay. I looked it up. That's actually, or ubiquitous. That's another word I learned from my guides. Superlative, ubiquitous. And that was the first guide that came to me. And because the energy of the guides I work with have always felt just like the love that I felt when I visited the garden of heaven when I was eight years old, if it didn't have the vibration of love, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have tuned into it. I would have turned away from it. And when the guides started coming to me, I created a system because simultaneously when I was younger, I wanted to explore spirituality. It was one of the only things that really lit me on fire, aside from performing. I've been a performer since I was 10. And oddly enough, my life is a combination of those things. So when I met these guides, my feeling was, this is what I've always wanted. But in the back of my mind, there was a skepticism of, am I manufacturing this because it's what I wanted? And I was very skeptical of not wanting to do something that wasn't the legitimate thing I was doing. And so I would say to the guides, okay, I need you to come with a picture. I need each of you to have a color and I need, I need it always to be the same. So I know who I'm talking to. And I created this system and if, and if it didn't match up, I would stop doing it. And it, luckily it always correlated. And so I started working with Melchizedek and then I started, you know, Jesus would show up and mother Mary and Archangel Michael. And like at one time there was like 40 guides I would work with and they would all just be representatives of my higher self. And each of them would be like a thread in the tapestry or each of them would, would be one arm in the many arms of a Hindu God, each of them just representing an aspect of the higher self. And in current times, I have a lot of guides that surround me that do a lot of things, but I only speak to Melchizedek. And a lot of times I just intuit directly, but Melchizedek and I talk, you know, several times a day. I have an open-ended conversation with the Akashic Records, with Melchizedek, with the Galactic Council. And it's just on, you know, the state of humanity, my role in this in the ascension teachings I'm downloading and just different things like that. And a lot of the conversations about is about the processes that I go through because in between transmissions, I'm always going through incredible upgrades, healings and integration so that every time I'm serving humanity, I'm always a brand new version of myself. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's, it's, it's an ongoing conversation and it's one that if it didn't always have the frequency of love, I don't know that I would have trusted it. And it's one that even if you want it, or even if you start to tune into it, the ability to be clear and the process of staying clear is quite an undertaking. And for me, I dedicated my entire life to it. Yeah. When did you first, were you developing kind of your spiritual practice quite a bit before you started, you first made contact with Melchizedek? I never had a spiritual practice. Uh, my my yeah. only spiritual practice has been communicating with my guides. And then there have been practices I've done 
for the process of, I will do a practice, feel into all the different levels of the experience, and then I teach it. There are practices I have in my personal life. I don't do them the same time every day. I have a very open-ended practice. It's like I meditate whenever I feel like I need to. I meditate and then I usually go to bed. So I typically, I wake up in the morning and I start my day in meditation. And then I end my day. I meditate in bed and I end my day in meditation. If I need to meditate throughout the day just for integration purposes, I will do that. If I need to breathe, I will stop and always do that. But for, for me, my, my personal practices are about embodiment and it's about personal conduct, which I don't think about too much, but it's my relationship with life, with outside. Every moment is a living practice. But what's interesting is I didn't, I didn't have any spiritual awareness, really. I mean, my parents were very spiritual and they'd give me these like one-liners, you know, they'd say, you know, like, well, imagine you only, you know, you only move in the direction you face and you know, and they'd say all these spiritual things to me from the seventies, which was, which was awesome. And then they'd point out books for me to read and I wouldn't read them. I would scan them for energy and didn't know what I was doing. And so until I met my guides, once I met my guides is when I started on my spiritual path and I only learned from them. Uh, I haven't read books. And once I started channeling, I didn't want to read books because I didn't want to be influenced by anyone's language patterns because I have a very specific way of describing the way I experience things and the way I teach. So I've had a very mysterious path and, and the majority of my path has been doing sessions with people in the very beginning. And I would channel answers to their questions and I would stand outside of myself watching it. And I would hear what they would say and I would hear what I would say. And over 13 years, I pieced together the spiritual journey and all these different paths. But that's how I kind of, and other, by and large, that's how I kind of came into this awareness was just kind of being in the field doing my work and watching myself. And by watching myself, I taught myself how to do what I was doing, which is the way I, I learn. I really appreciate that explanation. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I have moments of that and it's I love that. And it feels, it, 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 it does, it, it almost feels like how do I know how to, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, to me, it's almost the validation that it's like, oh yeah, this is, let me too. I'm, I'm sitting here as the third person in the conversation being like, oh, that's so fascinating. Right? Amazing. That's how I do everything. That's how I taught myself how to cook. We were talking about that earlier before we went live. That's how I taught myself how to cook. That's how I channel, I taught myself how to facilitate healing sessions. I've taught myself and the, or the universe has taught itself through me, however, whatever perspective we have. So many different healing techniques, you know, the repeat after me was something that I was, I just started doing out of nowhere. And then after I would do something, my guides would be like, my son, the purpose of this is da, 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 da. And so I just developed this. And so I have all these different ways of doing what I do, which when I came into the, and, the, and what's interesting is when I came into this field, I thought I'm going to meet all my psychic superhero friends. And I came in, I'm like, Hey, everyone. I think I'm one of you and <laughs> hello. And where's the clubhouse? And can I pull a card? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, what do we do? And everyone or at the time when I was coming to this industry, people were doing things differently than how I did it. And it made me feel kind of strange. Like, okay, either I'm bringing something totally new, which by the way, was not my first thought. My first thought was I might be completely insane. 
I might be, I might've wandered into the wrong nightclub and I think I'm where I'm supposed to be. And when I'm alone, everything makes so much infinite sense. And when I'm around other people, I feel like I snuck into some nightclub with a fake ID and I have no business being here. And so I, 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 I really made a decision. I said, look, I'm going to go forward with what I do. I'm going to trust my instincts. I'm going to bring through what I do, even if it feels like I'm completely talking out of my ass. And I'm doing it because my deepest desire is I want to help people. And it seems that when I trust what I do, people are helped. And so I did what I did. A lot of people responded like, wow, we've never heard that or seen that or it was different. But when I trusted it, it brought through what I've brought to this field and continue to, which is I'm just bringing through what comes through me from the uniqueness of my journey. And I think that the parallel of that is that all of us, including everyone watching this right now, if you have an aspiration to help and to serve, one of the most limiting things you can do is try to learn someone else's process and instead take the time to learn your own process. Because I didn't have a process that matched anyone else's process. They would walk me through steps that didn't work for me. I had my own system. I created my own system and my intention was pure and my desire was to help people. And that I, I found a way to do it in a way that worked for me. And I think there's so many healers in this world that instead of trying to learn someone else's way, they have a way within themselves that's ready to birth if only we could trust it. And I'm hoping that these words can inspire those who are going to bring even newer things to this field than even I've brought. And that's what's so exciting about it. Thank you. Go ahead, Anna. Okay. So in your course, the 10 golden rules to unlocking emotional freedom, do you remember yes. recording that one with Hay House? long time ago, you 10 think. golden rules to unlocking emotional freedom. It's an online class. Yeah. And then I turned that into a book. Yes. I do remember that. So good. It's thank like you. the best course, like well, one of the best you. courses. I love it. Anyways, mm -hmm. um, in there. Okay. So we talk a lot, you know, in Vedanta Buddhism, we talk about like, I am not the doer of action. Right. And that's kind of, and that's kind of like a really hard concept to wrap your head around. And you right. put it so beautifully in this course. And I <laughs> would love you to like, maybe, you know, if you can remember saying this, cause it was just a wonderful way to, to explain this thing, which was, you said, imagine you're going to a movie theater yes, and the movie, like the plot, the ending, everything's been written. The director's already shot everything. It's been edited. The actors have played their role and right. you're in the movie theater, like, should I get the popcorn? Should I get the candy? <laughs> Thinking that that's going to change the ending. Right. So if you could like kindly tell that little analogy again, because it was just Aww. such a beautiful way of, of perceiving life. I appreciate it. You know, and you remind me because it's, again, it's so funny how, how much I've done that I have no awareness of until, it, you know, oh yeah, you know, I guess I did that. If, if our life was a movie and we were watching a movie, and whenever we think we're the doer of life, which the sophistication or the nuance is that when most people think they're not the doer of life, they, they can think it's either an excuse to not take action or that their choices don't matter, which I think is the pothole in the whole situation. That's a misunderstanding. And I'm just saying that from what I've helped people through, not everyone thinks that, but can be a very easy way to sidestep the insight. 
But if, you, if your life was a movie, the movie that's already been filmed and edited before you got into the theater, and then you got into this kind of superstitious kind of mindset of, oh my God, if I keep my eyes open and I don't blink, will that help stack the deck to make these you know, two characters fall in love at the end? Or if I leave and go to the bathroom, I don't think Bruce Willis is going to be able to unplug the bomb in time or whatever it is. And it's really just all these ways in which we are in a stage of bartering or negotiation. And I think that we're in a constant state of negotiation because we're unknowingly in a perpetual state of grief, constantly grieving the losses of the things that we have that don't stay or the changes we don't expect. And I think that the real beauty of a teaching that you are not the doer in whatever words we want to put them in, I think the beauty of that is it turns us towards the heart and to become aware that the one who is seeking control, the one that is trying to elicit control through some degree of bartering or negotiation, isn't quite aware of the grief that is constantly being processed in our nervous systems because we as individuals, no matter how spiritual we are, are fundamentally continually realizing life is temporary, everything is bound to change, things are seasonal or changing even quicker. And, we're, and, and as we wake up, we're waking up out of identification with the grief cycle, but before you can transcend it, you have to harmonize with it. And so I think for me, if I feel into the juice of that, the juice of that is instead of believing my behavior in the theater is going to cause this positive thing or this negative thing to happen, can I just sit, be open to the experience that happens, and whatever my emotional experience is based on the movie I'm watching is the experience I'm meant to have a deeper, more loving relationship with. And I think that at this time in history, especially, especially in a society that tends to move very quickly with the advancements of technology, I think sometimes we try to move faster than the speed of grief. And it's something that always catches up to us. And it's something we always wind up falling back into and having to face. And so the analogy I did at the time, I really enjoyed just like you did. But I think if I tune into it today, the beauty of that teaching is instead of trying to negotiate with the universe, trying to think my vibration makes things come and go, or any kind of superstition or negotiation, can I stop or set that aside? And can I make some time for the grief that if I let myself feel it and face it, will actually bring me into a more loving, intimate relationship with life where it can come and go. The experiences can nourish me with enrichment and wisdom. And without such a grip of attachment, I don't have to live and die by the comings and goings of my daily experiences. Thank you. Thank you. So, okay. Can yeah. I ask a question about that though? Yeah, please. <laughs> so like, do you mean that we live our day-to-day -day life observing it unfolding and just as if it's like a, a CD, ROM, a DVD play, like it's already printed. It's already, you know, um, I'm not saying this. 
Okay, there's this movie where the, it's called About mm. Time, and the guy can yeah. time travel. And then at the end of the movie, he realizes it's best just to like go back in time and start the day off right from the beginning. But this yeah. time, don't make any decisions and just watch it. Right. And is that kind of what you mean? Because I, I hope I didn't yeah. misunderstand. Your, oh your no, teaching. it's it, oh no, it's okay. It's 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 that there are usually some ex, there are usually extremes in teachings. So right. there's either control everything or let it flow and don't disturb anything. Those are extremes, right? It's either mm-hmm. I'm doing everything or I've let go of everything. I'm in control or I've fully surrendered it all. I've bought it all at the mall or I've given all my possessions away. So we have these big extremes. What I'm suggesting is that life is far more complex and that we have to actually include a little bit of each. There is choices to be made every single day. If we're parents, if we're coworkers, if we're business owners, entrepreneurs, whatever we are, right? Spirituality is not an excuse to ditch our lives and not be mature adults. At the same time, why we make choices and whether it comes from attachment or wisdom is what we become aware of. For example, if I make a choice because I think the choice is going to make something happen or make something I don't like go away faster. That's something to look at. Or I'm saying I'm making this choice because of how I feel in my body emotionally. And it feels like the direction of flow that I've been in. And this feels like the right. So it's, 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 it's kind of like when people get into that place of, oh, my mind is so noisy. So I just need to unplug my mind. Like if I gave you an analogy about that, it's like, imagine you were driving your car and every time the gas light popped up to tell you you're about to run out of gas, it frightened you. And you thought the way for it to stop frightening frightening me is to unplug that that signal. So now you never get frightened because the ball never lights up on your dashboard. And now you're on the side of the road because you never know when you're out of gas. Like unplugging the mind is not the same thing as making peace with it. And the truth is the mind functions beautifully. It's an incredible, ingenious expression. It's just that the mind tends to be noisy and the heart tends to be anxious when they're disconnected from one another. So if anything, what I teach is the integration of extremes. It's not about mind into heart. It's about reuniting mind and heart and holy matrimony. It's not about no desires and it's not about all desires. It's finding a space where these forces flow and unite because the space in which these forces are separate is merely a trauma response based on the experiences we've survived but haven't emotionally processed. And so it's really about bringing extremes together and integration of highs and lows, up and down, uniting the sun and the moon and bringing the masculine and feminine together. Thank you. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I hope that, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a book come out in 2022. I did. <laughs> uh, All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space. Yes. Uh, and why don't you tell us about it? Kind of some of those, uh, your teachings from that that you'd like to share. Well, it was, it was one of the most personal books I've ever written. I've written four books and it was filled with so many personal stories for my family 
Uh, it was the most personal share. It was the most cathartic um, experience of writing a book. I spent most of the time bawling my eyes out when I wrote it. And when I wrote the book, it was during the time of the George Floyd incident. And it was just a time where I, I sat with the universe and I said, what is going to be the path that guides us forward from here? Because, you know, everyone has a right to be angry for, from injustice. Injustice is dissonance and dissonance is a reflection of things we have to address in our society. And yet oftentimes the reaction of dissonance can be a justification for violence. And we can all agree that destroying our homes and our neighborhoods is not going to actually help us move forward in an evolutionary progressive way. So it was during a time where love seemed a little out of season and I wasn't sure the direction life was going, to be honest. So I thought I'm going to write a book that I'm inspired to make, and I'm going to use this as a path that guides what I've been teaching forward. And because we're in such intense times, this has to be a way that is the most practical and functional. And so the book focuses on how to relate to yourself, no matter what stage of awakening or a journey you're on, how to relate to others in your life and how to communicate in a way from the awareness that we're all really on a healing journey, even those who are unaware they're on a healing journey or, or don't even care to be on a he healing journey. And how do we learn to communicate in a way that manifests unity consciousness and action? How do we learn to communicate in a way that is practical, that doesn't require us to agree, to meet in the middle on any, on any level? How do we communicate in a way that is from a, a space of emotional intelligence and how, you know, because people will come to my events and this has happened over many years where they'll say, wow, I feel so connected when I'm here, but I'm going to go back to my marriage. I'm going to go back to my family. I'm going to go back to my kids and they don't care about any of this stuff. And a lot of spiritual people don't know how to communicate or interact unless everyone's talking this way. So I wanted to write a book that helps the world communicate from an emotionally connected place, not have us hide behind spiritual concepts or ideologies, but to meet heart to heart, even when other people don't know how or are unwilling to meet us there. How do we do that? And that inspired me to write this book, All for Love, The Transformative Power of Holding Space. And I'm so proud of it. I loved it. Thank you. Yeah. I have a question about it, actually. Yeah. Um, when you talk about in there, one of different attributes, um, maybe it was empathy where you yeah. don't, you don't give advice. And I think like a lot of us, especially of us on the, on the spiritual path, it's like a friend's coming to us and they're telling us a story and we can see right, right through all their ego and their mm -hmm. life lessons. And we're like, well, you should do this, or this is because right. of this, or this is the shadow work. It, and, and you, and you talk about like holding back from needing to tell them what you think, because when we do that, it's, it's kind of an ego place to be like, I've been there, done that, but also it, 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 it cheats them out of life experience. And I, and, and, and I love that, I guess. My, so my question is as a, as a yeah. mother, yes. Um, and also as a best friend who, you know, who, who someone may come to me for advice and I know life is nuanced and there's probably not like a right or wrong answer, but I of guess course. when, when, what are some signs that it's the right time to, to share your advice versus imposing your spiritual history on someone? That's a great question. I love the way you've just phrased that. It's a wonderful, I, I love that. Here's when it's okay to share. And again, it's always okay to share. We're always going to share, but we learn from our sharing. And what my 
teaching in this book, one of them is is about why that actually could be a hindrance to emotional intimacy versus an accelerant of it. So, so you know you're ready to share some wisdom with someone when they have, when they are facing their experience, when they are aware of their choices. They've made it. They've made choices that they think are the best possibility for them. Maybe a few of them, and and they just are in a state of disarray, and they say, "I just don't know what to do," because a lot of times people will ask for advice before they've considered their options, before they've felt into what their heart is guiding them to do, and before they've dared to make an uncomfortable choice that may not be the direction they want to go, right? So they go, they usually go, I don't know what to do, which sometimes means I don't want to do the thing I don't want to do. And I hope you can give me a, a direction that feels more like the way I want to feel and doesn't feel as uncomfortable. And oftentimes in life, we have to face things with discomfort and we have to move beyond the feelings that come up for us, right? So like for just to give an example, just to make this more you know, concrete, let's say someone comes to me and they say to me, Matt, I have this problem. Now, the truth is in my personal life, I don't have a lot of people in my life coming to me. It's in my work that that, that happens. My work life, all bets are off. We have consent and, and we're doing this thing. But let's say someone comes to me and they say, Matt, I don't know what to do. And I say, what do you think you should do? And they say, I don't know. And I say, what are your options? Let's list them out. And they give me a list of two to four options. And I say, which one of those are you right now most likely to choose? And then I ask them, what is the reason behind the choice? And does that match your highest ethical value? So when I help people in my personal life, I'm helping them to help themselves. And I think sometimes when we get come from a spiritual place, we're trying to give someone the answer at the back of the book. We're trying to help them on their journey, but we're trying to maybe move through someone through a journey faster than they're ready to process. We're actually taking them away from the discomfort that our job is to actually be a companion and a supporter through. So if I'm helping someone, I want to help someone help themselves. To me, the definition of inspiration is to help someone to, to the degree that they remember how to help and support themselves. So, you know, and, and again, you go back to Jesus about, you know, teach someone to fish versus giving someone a fish, you know, same idea. And so there are times where you can say insights and it can be helpful, but the real juicy question is, are you really coming from a place of authentic help or underneath the surface? Are you wanting to help them? Yes. You want to help them feel better, but is it also because in helping them feel better, you feel better around them because as empaths, we tend to feel other people's feelings. And sometimes we want to help people feel better so that we can feel better around them or so that they can feel better about us. And so we have to kind of look at what's underneath the surface. What's really running this? What is the motivation? And if we can learn to say to someone, I don't know what you should do, but I'm here to love and support you. And I'd love to hear about your choices and which one you're the closest to choosing and bring someone back to themselves and yet support them emotionally 
in a nourishing way. That's a very profound thing to do. So we're not helping people escape their journey. We're being supporters along their journey. And it requires far less energy. And we wind up being far more present with people. And it makes it less about us as the rescuers, which is what spiritual beings tend to be as rescuers, mm -hmm. because we tend to rescue people in the way others didn't rescue us. And that's that's a that's a nice little codependent thing we do. <laughs> nice little act of transference. <laughs> so it really it, it's a really interesting thing when you can be wisdom, not always the dispenser of wisdom. You can be love not the one telling someone what you know what what they should do it, it's a really fascinating shift i i like to think of it as having your spirituality tucked in mm -hmm. like tucking in a shirt not having it so tucked out not having it so on the surface and really just slowing down and really honoring intimacy that intimacy is a series of uncertain moments woven together by the fabric of connection, that we take the journey to accompany each other through uncertainty. And sometimes we wanna rush people towards a big realization of certainty. Instead of slowing down and honoring the uncertainty that actually can bring us together in a more intimate way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like from the drama triangle, moving from rescuer to coach. Right. Kind of. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So also in your book, All for Love, yeah. the, you, you talk about the attribute of bravery is needed when you ask the question, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Can you speak more about that, please, for our listeners? When it comes to bravery, bravery is not what action we take with the promise of everything going right. Bravery is how we need to step forward and where we need to go and what we need to do, whether everything falls into place or not. I think sometimes in the spiritual journey, we step back and we wait for some sign of alignment, which is it's fine. And there are moments of alignment. But what's interesting about bravery is or I think what, what is the confusion about bravery is that people think in order to be brave, I, has to, I have to first feel brave or courageous before I make the choice. And the truth is, is that bravery is what we manifest or cultivate through the choice, which means it's not the way we often feel as we make the choice. So bravery is how we're going to feel as we take a journey, not necessarily how we feel before we step into deeper waters on the journey. So a lot of times we'll be in a path of life. Maybe you want to go in a different life direction than the partner you've been with. Maybe you want to change life direction. You want to move to a different place. Whatever the, the, the new thing is or the, the thing that seems scary. Um, I need to have a conversation with someone who may be scary for me to talk to. The bravery isn't going to be what you feel before you have that conversation or make the choice. It's what you're going to actually step into and cultivate as you move where you need to go, whether it goes good, whether it goes sideways or anywhere in between. And I think in so many ways on the spiritual path, again, in a state of negotiation, we all want someone to make us a promise 
that says, promise to me, it will be nothing like the past. It will be all good and not painful. And then I will step forward. And that is not how this goes. And so bravery is where we say, whether it goes well or not, I got to get the hell out of here. And the worst thing is not it falling apart. The worst thing is not people thinking negative things about me. The worst thing is spending one more moment where I'm not meant to be. Spending one more moment in a reality I've outgrown. Those are the words of bravery. Bravery says, I don't give a you-know-what, what the hell happens. I got to, I know where I need to be. So bravery for me is the intensity of unwavering life direction that will move through what happens instead of waiting up for a promise of what might happen. And that's a very powerful energy. And that's one of many attributes the new book, All for Love, helps people cultivate. I mean, how do you come from that place, especially without being defensive or trying to do it in a masculine way? And it's a very interesting thing. A lot of people, when they're trying to be brave, they, they, they get defensive and they get angry and harsh because they're, they're, they're truly afraid. But bravery is, I am ready to go where I need to go. And I'm not in negotiation with anyone or even the universe. Instead of I'm waiting to make sure it's going to be the way I want it to be. And that is not how it's going to unfold before you make the choice because life is about growth. In order to grow, there have to be stakes. And the higher the gain you're going to gain in making a choice, the more intense it's going to be just before you make the choice. And so it's just learning about the terrain of our journey and learning about making the right choices that really embody the most meaningful of values and not needing to keep giving your power away to the outside. That is really an outside world is just playing the role of helping to make your most meaningful choices most meaningful. So I think it's, I think bravery is a beautiful thing once we really realize what it is and what it isn't. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate hearing that right now. I'm in the middle of a lot of transition <laughs> in my own life. And I've right. been trying to like, I've been using the analogy of singing, yeah. right? Where you're just like the decision to like, take that note and just be like, this is how I'm going to sing this. And I'm committing to this as opposed to like That's that right. indecisive sound. And also what I've been saying to people is you can't read tomorrow's newspaper with today's eyes. Right? I love that. You should bumper sticker that. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's all buy that right now. Oh, that's delicious. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> it, came to me, it, it came to me in another language first. It was one of those things where you're like, I don't speak that language. You have to change it. What was the language of mastery? What language was that? I have no idea. I have no idea, but it was that's like, it, it came in and I was like, oh, I can't understand that guys. You have to like change the dial. And then I was like, oh, here it is. So yeah, no, it was good. Uh, well, it, but, well, and I, by the way, I, I love that. that. And I, you should, you should meme that. And I would seriously, that was that I love that. But like, just, to, just to kind of give another little texture to, to this, cause I think it's a really juicy thing. And I think it's important and really relieving for everyone watching is going, Oh my God, 
thank you. It would kind of be like going to a restaurant. We're all having lunch. And the server says today's special is the Cobb salad. And you're saying, okay, so I'm thinking of ordering the Cobb salad, but I, but can you guarantee me that it's going to activate all my chakras? And by the time I'm done with the Cobb salad, I'm not going to have any traumas left to process. And the server says, look, I don't know about all that. I just can tell you what's on a Cobb salad. You like bacon, you like chicken, you want some blue cheese. It's all in there. Cherry tomatoes. It's delicious. Even some avocado if you want. And they, and they said, look, I'm really close to making this decision, but I need to be guaranteed that when I get up here, no more karmas, no more traumas. You see, and that that's literally the conversation we're having with life and awakening is just realizing you're having that conversation, realizing the futility of it and deciding to just eat the Cobb salad, letting the destiny of the Cobb salad be what it's meant to be and not associating erroneous things with the deliciousness of a Cobb salad. I love that analogy too. <laughs> I love Cobb salads. <laughs> Me too. Let's not throw anything on a Cobb. We don't need to put anything on a Cobb salad. It's already perfect it's in its balance. In its balance. Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you. <laughs> oh. Before we close the episode, is there any last, any last inspiration you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I would love to. And I just want to say how much fun I've had with you both. And Aww. I would love to do, I would love to do this again. You guys are so much fun. And oh, we'd love to have you anytime. Just because I just, it, it's just, it, what what a fun combination of, of insights and, um, you know, lovely, just lovely to connect. And for, for everyone that's been with us on this episode, what I'd like to share, what feels what wants to be shared is that a lot of times in the spiritual path, it doesn't matter what path it is. It could be non-dual path, Eastern, Western, you know, whatever the path is. It seems to be the path is about, I think I'm doing something wrong. Let me learn what better way to do it. And I think it's wrong because of how I feel. And I think when I get it right, it's going to feel different. And I think a lot of times the way these old paths, and it's not a path's fault, it's the way it's interpreted, it's the way that it's expressed. It's no different than back in the day, there was a geography book and France was called Gaul. And in 2023, if I wanted a vacation in France and I put Gaul into Travelocity, it's not going to show me any flights or hotels. So it's just the evolution of things. And the evolution of things, we're at a really important time where we as spiritual beings have a chance to really step into some high-level mastery. And high-level mastery, from my perspective, is how much more loving can you be for yourself? And that really requires us to kind of take a break from this idea of, I'm doing it wrong because I don't like how I feel, and I'm going to be on a better path if I feel better. The truth is, we feel better when we're more connected to ourselves and we're more connected to ourselves when we're in less negotiation with life or the universe. And so what I think is important to kind of bring this all together is that part of my energy seems to be that I like for some reason unraveling old misconceptions and old teachings and ideologies only for the purposes of opening up space so that we can stop what we're doing, 
And can we just love ourselves and love ourselves the way perhaps no one else has, or perhaps the opposite of the way people from our past did? And not to say, if I love myself, does that mean I'm going to awaken and my chakras are going to open? But in a state of being totally free from negotiation, with no promise that something's going to get better, with no promise of anything other than like holding a baby that's screaming, I'm aware of how much love I need. I'm aware of how much love I desire. And if I can love myself in that most authentic way, can I start to see the most unsuspecting path unfolding through me that doesn't give me so much to work on, to fear I'm doing wrong, or to work at getting right? Can I actually just turn inward can I not see myself as, an, as a personal object, as a spiritual object? And can I actually just be the partner and companion that I can't get other people to be more like? Can I actually meet myself as I am? And can I meet myself with the love that even begins with, I don't know how to love you, but I see the pain you're in. I don't know how to be here for you, but please help me learn. Even when we feel helpless, hopeless, and incapable, we can return to love by just saying, I don't know what to do with you or for you, but let's work together and figure this out. And let's create a relationship out of once was perceived as a problem needing to be fixed. That's the invitation. And that's when things get effing incredible. Thank you so much. Amazing. Well, you can find, I'm just so touched. I need to like breathe for a second. <laughs> you can find links to Matt Kahn's website, courses, and audios in our show notes. And also visit soundstrue.com for links to his books and his newest book, All for Love. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much. If you'd like to find out more about Matt Kahn, you can go to www.mattkahn.org and you can look for his books anywhere good books are sold. So that wraps it up for this fifth season of This Spiritual Fix. And for those of you who are wondering, we are still planning on being here for the sixth season. We're just going to take a couple of weeks break with probably some things posted in between. We look forward to seeing you next season. Have a wonderful, wonderful life until we speak again. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell you all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it. And all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, 
Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover. 